Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The U.S. Marshals question their prime suspect, but they're unaware of his capacity for violence. Join us for the conclusion of the dramatic search for Sue. Welcome to Chasing Evil. I'm your host, Chris Gotzik, and this is part two and the conclusion of Sue's harrowing journey. In part one, we learned that Sue had an awful home life. And with nowhere else to go, she, like so many other people, turned to the internet. Sue meets Dave when she's 12, and they have contact on and off until Sue reaches 16. When they finally meet, in no time, the 23-year-old Dave convinces 16-year-old Sue to run away with him. Her dad reports her missing. Law enforcement searches for three days, but there is no sign of Sue. On day four, the U.S. Marshals are asked to assist in the case. Dave is the primary suspect, and he has been extremely cooperative. Yes, that's right. The primary suspect couldn't be more helpful. The U.S. Marshals are preparing to interview him, but Sue, who has been sleeping in a field of decaying cars, is about to tell us about day four. Day four was terrible. Uh, Dave left me in the car. Uh, overnight on day three and that was fine but he was supposed to come and get me in the morning so I waited all morning all afternoon all night and I realized that he was not coming back for me he either got arrested he doesn't love me anymore he's leaving me there he's done Mm -hmm. something it wasn't right I had no idea what was next for me. Right. And that's how, and that's how you spent, that's how you spent day four. Yeah. And the evening of day four, you're still, I was still there. I had to come up with a plan of some sort. Like I had to get him to love me or care for me. Cause I just felt him slipping away. Even the other days he wasn't mean necessarily, but if he was done with me, it was just back in the car. If I annoyed him, if I said something, really anything, he would just put me back. Mm -hmm. So I noticed that he wasn't acting in love with me. He didn't really want anything to do with me sexually. It was like he did, but not full, not the full real deal because he wanted me to be a virgin for some reason. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't take that away from me. And I was a little bit concerned. I was I was like, he will do all of this. Why won't he fully have sex with me? He will right. go to any length. He will act out any scenario, uh, role play, any any kind of thing. Right. But he won't go all the way. And I, I thought that that was strange. So he, that day... I came up with that a plan that I had to get this guy to give me needs. I need food. I only had one piece of pizza this whole time. Mm-hmm. I was starving. I felt my body just going to waste. I was cold. I needed a shower. I needed attention. I needed interaction mm-hmm. with people. And I noticed that as soon as that negotiation on the phone the day before ended it was like I was dirt I was nothing they were done he left me and didn't come back so when he did finally show up I think like 10 or 11 it was dark on the evening of day in the evening of day four Mm -hmm. he 
he came and I asked where he had been. Why didn't he come get me? And all he could say was, oh, sorry, I was watching movies with my mom all day. And it just hurt me so bad that he was at home living comfortably, eating, hanging out, not a care in the world. And I was there thinking he was never going to come back. Because mm-hmm. when I saw somebody walking towards me, I just thought it was another creepy guy. I didn't even expect it to be him. Right. So he came and that night I had to stay somewhere else. I couldn't be in that car anymore. So I started, I went into survival mode. I thought, what can I do to stay in this bed and get a meal tomorrow? And this is where the confusion about rape comes in. Because he eventually that night did want to have sex with me. And yes, I wanted to. If I could please him, then I would be able to stay in his bed and eat his food. Mm -hmm. So, yes, absolutely. I was okay with it. I didn't realize that I had been raped by him withholding my needs from me until I finally broke. Mm-hmm. So day five comes. At this point, what kinds of things are you gathering? All kinds of different information, um, background, lines of questioning, and, and preparing to, to go and do surveillance and, and do this interview. Mm-hmm. And then you were going to do that on day six. Yes, the, the following day. Sue, so how were you going to spend day five? Day five... Uh, I felt like I accomplished a little bit of what I was going for. I got to stay overnight with him on day four. And into day five, he went to work, I think, really early, like 6 a.m. So I got to stay at his house that day. And that was luxury for me. I actually got to stay in his room all day. So that's an amazing day for you. Amazing. Best day ever. Right. And... um. His mom would be out in the living room that day and she would beg me to come hang out with her. I was terrified. I didn't want anything to do with her. She was scary. So I couldn't talk. I would just hide in the room. Um, Dave said, you know, he doesn't have money to feed me. So I'm on the floor looking for quarters and putting them in a pile on the floor about to give them to him when he gets home saying, you can take this to go feed me. I had, you know, I think I had like 60 cents. I was feeling accomplished. I was like, you can get me a can of food with this. Right. And he did, actually. He did. But he didn't let me. What, what was he eating? And what was oh, his mother eating? Oh, he went out to eat every day. His mom had all the food she wanted. But I wasn't allowed to use the microwave. She was. She had her food. If I had a food, which I did get a can of food, he gave me a can and said, here you go. He And there's a microwave right here. I said, can I heat this up? He looks at me like I'm insane. No, you can't heat it up. Open the can and eat it. Can I have a spoon? No. No, that would be ridiculous. He gave me a can and expected me to eat it, which I did. But it just seems so odd. His mom's eating normally. He goes out to eat when he's going to work and coming home from work. It it felt so wrong that he couldn't afford to feed me. Yeah. And even even a little bit. Okay. Because I was finding this money on the floor and trying to collect it and Wow. So day five is a day of luxury. You get to sleep in a yes. bed and you get Great day. a can of food. Yeah. Great day. Good day to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> um I I felt good overall. Okay. Like, I mean, compared to the other days, right. yeah. Right. And the evening of, of day five, where did you spend He that? let me stay with him again. Oh, wow. I okay. felt like something was going right. right. Um, Something to say about that, though, is he became so different because he would go out into the living room and talk with his mom. He wasn't hiding the conversation. He would go and say something terrible like she was crying 
why would she be crying with me? And then he would come back into the room and I would say, why, why did you tell her that? He would be like, what are you talking about? I didn't say anything. What are you talking about? You're crazy. You're losing your mind. And it was so manipulative. Right. Anything that I heard to him did not happen. So he started really playing into that. Right. Trying to, a lot of the manipulation. Yeah. Yeah. And so day five, you're spending the evening of day five, you're spending it there? Yep. Yeah. Day five was there. Um, he spent a lot of time with his mom. Right. Which is weird. He didn't, he didn't call her mom. He called her by her name, uh-huh. which I always thought was odd. Right. Uh, they were best friends. They, I would hear him telling stories about their life of crime. And I thought that that was strange. What kind of things did they do? It was mostly like missing people. They had a fascination with taking people in. And she was obsessed with fighting. She was this small woman, like 5'2". And she she would tell me these stories about going to a bar and knocking guys out. And how she would make them submit to her. And it was very strange. Did you believe her? Or did you think she was I believed it her 100%. 100%. She looked at me and said that with conviction. She meant that. Right, right. Yeah. So day six comes. You have woken up and he's letting you letting you stay. Yeah. So that was the end of that. He wanted to take me back to the car for that day. But I got really lucky. He went out, started the truck. The truck was like the, the way that he would tell me when I was allowed to come out he would go out to the truck but he would only start the truck if it was clear he would like I guess somehow look around and make sure there was no one there right right and day day six for the marshals a big day yeah um so we uh we rallied up early in the morning uh like we normally do I think probably around uh five or six in the morning uh, briefed up on what was going on, disseminated everything, made sure everybody had pictures and contact and all, everything. And then we went down to uh, where his residence was. Uh, we watched him come in and we had a description of his vehicle, which was, it was very interesting because the vehicle was a different color than what we had. And I believe uh, our other partner is the one that actually noticed it when it came in. He's like, are you sure that's the correct color? And we're like, that's what we have. But sometimes that gets changed, you know, in, in the course of administration of right. uh, like the MVA or uh, different DMVs, whatever, they, mm-hmm. they make mistakes. Um, so we found that odd right off the bat. So we watched him. He got out of the car, didn't seem to, to be in a hurry or anything, gets out of the car, goes in the house. He, I believe he grabbed a bag or something out of the car and, and went in the house. Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly, allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Nothing seemed out of the ordinary. Nothing seemed crazy. Um, can, you, can you sometimes <coughs> tell even from that action of somebody getting out of the car and taking a package in that they are that they're slightly off in some way or they're can you is that certainly you can um uh you know a lot of times guys will get out and this is where you could really get into the psychology of of dave um which we'll talk about a little bit later but he got out of the car usually if if you know you have a missing child in your house you would look around look for police you you would be a little bit on alert Uh, that's just a normal that would be a normal criminal behavior or a normal anxious behavior. I think we've seen it a hundred times. You'd be wearing a hood or perhaps something to disguise who you are. 
maybe park uh, backing in so that you can escape faster, uh-huh. things like that. Uh-huh. There was just none of that. It was very confident, very normal, just a average guy coming home from work or, or coming home to his house and going in. And he, I believe he worked for a beer distributor at the time because we had gone there looking to see if we could see him at work mm-hmm. before we set up on the house. And we didn't see the vehicle when we, we went there. So we were like, oh, I guess he's not working today. But then he wasn't there when we arrived. He pulled up maybe an hour, hour and a half afterwards, right. something to that effect. We mm-hmm. went in right behind. It's kind of a, a technique to just kind of throw him off. He doesn't so have time to really You hide saw it. him driving back into his house, and then you're like right on his tail. Uh, yeah. We basically wait for him to go in the house, say, hey, let's get ready. And, and then we moved right. in. So now inside the house, he comes in. And he must know that there's law enforcement right. there. And you're not in the car. You're I didn't in the house. know. Yeah, I wasn't in the car. His truck broke down that morning. I was waiting for the queue here in the truck and it wouldn't start. So he spent that day trying to fix it. Right. So I got to stay with him. Um, I had no idea what was going on in that moment. You just talked about. I think there was a knock on the door. He left the room for a minute. He came back in. He looked at me dead seriously and yelled at me to hide. And my heart dropped because I didn't know if this these were cops. I didn't know if these were criminal friends mm-hmm. coming over. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't know who these people were. Mm-hmm. So I hid under the bed. Mm-hmm. So when you make the approach to the house and he greets you, what's that like? Um, so when we knocked on the door, uh, it took him about maybe a minute or so to answer the door. Not uncommon, mm-hmm. uh, pretty normal. He opened the door, didn't look really surprised to see us. Uh, we introduced ourselves, explained who we were and why we were there. And he said, oh yeah, yeah well, we've been broken up for, for a while, but if you want to come in and talk about it, come on in. And invited us right in. Um, and if he hadn't, you you at that point had no grounds to enter the premises. No, we, we had nothing. In fact, that was the big... That was the big problem during this entire the entirety of this investigation. We're literally operating on his consent mm-hmm. um, because he's we're in his house. We don't have a warrant for an arrest. We have uh, no probable cause. We're literally there for an interview to see if we can determine anything else uh, about this this missing girl. Um, he is our prime suspect as it stands, but he is not charged with anything and right. he is not facing charges. Law enforcement has already been there three times. And he is uh, inviting you in. Clearly, she can't be here if she, he's inviting us in like this. And is he nervous? Is he squirrely? What, what's his? Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. He he was he was completely normal. Uh, and you know, Mac will tell you in the fugitive game when you knock on the door, if somebody's hiding somebody inside, you can almost tell immediately yeah. because it's the look backwards over your shoulder, kind of shiftiness. You know, nervousness, trying to pull the door behind you so we can't see in. All those signs were non-existent with with uh, Dave. Uh, Dave. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, it was almost immediately he invited us in the house to to talk about it and was very forthcoming. Uh, it so initially we had no. And that's, you know, that's inclination extraordinarily that unusual for you to find somebody who is that calm and cool. Absolutely, Absolutely. there were no tells. It's it was. Un- unbelievable there things came out shortly thereafter that were odd but his initial contact with us would be just the same as if we had come to your house to right. talk to you about something a little i mean obviously everyone's a little nervous because the cops are at your house right. that's not uncommon right but he again like like uh steve said there was no looking over the shoulder there was no oh, there's no clock up there was nothing that would tell he was nervous in any capacity right. invite us right in Hey, have a seat. You want something to drink? The whole nine, um, which was just very, uh, very odd in in some ways, but not in others. Yeah. You know, it's a little. It's a little bit. It's a bit disarming. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, that's the word Absolutely. I was looking for. Yeah. Yes, yeah. It's totally disarming. And so we began to to speak to him. We said, "Hey, do you mind if we take a look around, um, just to to double check?" And this is where. I ended up staying with him because I had had the majority of the initial investigation. So I started the interview and started building rapport and talking to him. Uh, Meanwhile, we'll call uh, our other partner, Johnny. Johnny and uh, Steve went downstairs to conduct a a 
what we call search for bodies to look for Sue to see if she was in the house anywhere. And he clearly would have ejected if she was down there. I mean, right? There's nobody who's letting you down there if, if, if she's... That's a brazen per- That's a brazen criminal. That's the most brazen thing I've seen probably uh, in my 20 years of, of being a deputy U.S. Marshal. I've right. never seen anyone that confident and cocky that no one's going to find find who we're looking for. Okay. And so what was uh, downstairs? Uh, so myself and Johnny, we go in and we, uh, we clear the upstairs. We go downstairs. We're clearing the downstairs. We open uh, a, a door and we find... Dave's mom. So uh, immediately we're like, okay, uh, come on out. Like come in here, come into the living room and have a seat. Cause we're going to need to talk to you. She didn't seem surprised, nervous, almost a, um, very similar characteristics that Dave has. Like they're not shocked that we're there. They're not nervous. They're not and seemingly hiding anything. They, you know, so and the uh, other part of that was that he said no one else was here. It's not even his mother. So that was odd. Yeah. Why would you create a lie when you don't have to? Not not sure. Okay. And that was one of those, like I said, one of the things that was just very odd. Um, and I'll, I'll let him get back to it. But it was just one of those things that we were like, why would you lie about your mom being there? That doesn't make any sense in any right. any world. So. Right. So at this point, we, we pull uh, Dave's mom out. We, we sit her in the living room out. Uh, Mac and Dave are upstairs. Right. He's starting the interview. So then Johnny starts interviewing uh, Dave's mom. So at that point, I'm kind of floating back and forth because we've we've visually looked around and not seen any bodies. Uh, so we're kind of floating back and forth. They're interviewing, uh, uh, building rapport, uh, talking to the to the mom, talking to Dave. Uh, I believe at one point uh, Johnny asked Dave's mom, "Hey, do you have any do you have any weapons or anything like that?" She says, "Oh yeah, I have a gun in my purse." that she literally had on her. So, uh-huh. so at that point we we're like, okay, uh, we we're going to need to, we're going to need to get that from in kind of <laughs> secure that while, while we can finish conducting the interview. Right. So, um, so the weapons secured and the interviews are continuing. And, uh, at that point, um, you know, a lot, a lot of times we're going to talk to people, separate them, try to figure out what the stories right. between two different people are to try to find out you know, what, what further questions we need to ask. And how much time has gone by at this point? Uh, at this point we're, we're there maybe 15, 20 minutes at this okay. point. And where Sue, where, where are you? Tucked in between the bed and the wall. You really squirreled your, squirreled yourself. Yeah. Away. It was a tight space. You did not want anyone to find you. No, especially since I didn't know who it was. Right. And, and now you guys go downstairs. Yes, we went downstairs. Um, again, we're looking at this point. Dave's given us consent to look around the house. He's being totally forthcoming, so we don't really expect to find anyone. But then we find the mom, so then we're kind of thrown off a little bit by that. So then, you know, we bring her out, and Johnny starts interviewing her uh-huh. and trying to, you know, at this point, we're, we've got two interviews going on at the same time trying to determine, like, I- any information we can get right. uh, as to Sue's whereabouts. Right. So, uh, and then that goes on for probably half hour, maybe at that point. Um, and then, you know, there, there, there are breaks in there where we're, we're kind of sharing information back and forth between what, how the interviews are going mm-hmm. between, uh, Mac and Johnny. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at that point, I think the decision was made, okay, we need to find out who the homeowner is and get written consent, uh, to really start looking around the house because we're just things aren't adding up between the two interviews. And the verbal consent he gave you was not enough. The verbal consent is plenty, right. but at that point, you know, we're now now we really want to. Was really it what wanna, was what stood out in the interviews? Do you guys do you remember that what that gave you cause to go? Mm, so something's. I think the big part of that was um, w- once we asked, "Hey, do you mind if we look around for Sue?" That's that's one form of consent, verbal consent. Right. Um, once we began the interviews, it, it got there were some of the stories that didn't add up. He was talking about basically another guy that could verify his alibi um, that he hadn't seen her and he'd spent time with this guy on the night she was disappeared. Um, there was a, a bunch of stuff, and then the mom, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, when she was talking to Johnny, had said no, he was here. Their their stories didn't jive exactly. Right. And so at that point, we're 
we're thinking to ourselves, just as a investigative strategy, let's get written consent. And again, they can they can pull that at any time. It doesn't matter if it's yeah. written or verbal, but written is a little more formal. Um, and we got it so that uh, again, so Steve could could look for more than just a body. We're looking right. for any uh, indication of any crime. So you'll get this r- written consent in lieu of trying to get a search warrant. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, because again, you go if. When you come with the search warrant, the report is blown at that point, and right. everything's going to shut down. Right. And we didn't want that. We wanted to continue to keep them talking because a lot of times, even if someone's lying to you, they're giving you pieces of uh, uh, of truth mm-hmm. because a good lie has truth in it, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so we were just continuing to keep him talking so that we could garner any truth we could. Right. Um, and that's what the whole point was. So we got him to sign the verbal consent once that – or the uh, written consent, as I was – and then uh, Steve went downstairs and began to to search uh, Dave's room. He asked specifically, "Can I search in your room?" Yeah, and I mean, it, again, he he signs the consent form with no hesitation at all. Yep. He and that was kind of another he, thing. Didn't he? He must have known Sue was down there hiding. Absolutely, absolutely, he knew. But he thought, and again, the hiding spot was very, very good. That's though good. I will say this: you could look under the bed and not see anything. You could move the covers on top of the bed and not see anything because of the way the bed was shaped. She almost laid on a shelf, if you will, uh-huh. between the wall and the bed. So it's just a very – and it's very narrow. So a small framed girl like, like Sue can easily fit in there. And that's – again, it's such a good hiding space. And if you had wanted to be found, if you had been abducted, for example, you would make noise or do right. something. So we weren't – particularly concerned that she was actively hiding at right. that point. We were assuming she wasn't even on on yeah, in right. the residence. Right. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So at this point, I go back down to the room, and uh, now I'm starting to really look for stuff. So I go in the closet initially, and I pull the closet, uh, start pulling stuff out of the closet, and immediately I see a backpack. And it is a, a, it's like a rainbow-colored backpack. And my immediate thought was, "That's, that's not his backpack. That looks like a, a backpack for a, a female. Right. Um, so at that point, I, I can't remember if I was, I would think I was texting back and forth with you and, and to try to find out if, if there was a way we could get in touch with the leads on the case uh, to find out if there were any items that uh, Sue took with her when she went missing. Mm-hmm. Because at this point, we're trying to find evidence that she was in the house because he had, he was adamant that she had not been there. So now we're trying to establish his his credibility on his story because now we've found this backpack and we're like this, this is definitely a female's backpack. So we want to make sure like did she go you know missing? What did she take? Uh, so we get information back uh, from the leads on the case that there there was there were things that she had taken. She had taken a backpack. She had taken her Bible that, and she would be nowhere. You know she took her Bible everywhere and it, it, those were the things that were missing. Mm-hmm. So at that point, um, I pick the backpack up, I unzip the top of the backpack, I look inside, and there is the Bible. So now my concern is, okay, the one thing she's never without, she's without because, you know, we have we've yet to find her in the house, and he is, he is acting, like completely normal, like right. so. And is the backpack and the Bible in the bedroom? Yes. yes. So you're searching. And you're hiding in the bedroom at the time, yeah. quiet as a, yep. as a church mouse. Yes. Right. Like you're not making a, a, a noise. No, not at all. And you're probably seven feet away. Yeah. Probably less. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Hide seek champion. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Dave just as cool, <laughs> calm, and collected as can be. That guy in 20 years, and this, I can tell you, Johnny, who's got. 25 or almost 30 years of of being a deputy right uh steve and myself all talk to him 
the best liar I've ever dealt with in the entirety of my job. He never flinched, never gave up anything, stayed calm, cool, collected, and stick to a story. He gave certain, uh, uh, you know, details that you would not normally remember, and he would bring them back and remember them. It was, he's just, he's one of the best liars I've ever seen until the very moment that we, right. you know, we came up with, yeah. with her, he stuck to a story and never, right. never, budged for a second so you find the backpack yep find the backpack bible's in the backpack now the concern is okay he is way too calm for her to be here so she's obviously not here he's also lying about her ever being here because this is the stuff she went missing with right so at this point we're like well we need to kind of dial it back a little bit at this point because we don't know if this could be a potential crime scene or if there's more evidence of anything that could have happened to sue so at this point we're we're dialing it back and we're reaching back out because we are not typically uh an investigative agency that handles crime scenes and and things like that so we're not really equipped for that so we had already um been in contact with some of the fbi investigators and we had counterparts uh that we work with all the time who are fantastic who were you know uh i think we'd already actually given them a heads up that we were doing this and they were gonna if we needed anything to reach out to them so so we did and and so when I reached out to our former counterpart, we'd worked on with a couple other cases in the FBI. She had moved along to Nickmick, which is interesting that she's at Nickmick during this period. She gives us Nickmick stands for uh, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Mm-hmm. Um, and she then gave us her her former partner's information. And said, "Hey, call her. She'll come out and she'll help you with anything you need to." And we'd worked with her a few times. And just class act, one of the best FBI agents we've probably ever worked with. Mm-hmm. So uh, we get her in route to us uh, to come out. Uh, in the meantime, we're we're starting to formulate plans kind of on the fly with what to do. And uh, you've, you've been at the house how long? Uh, probably at this point, two, two hours. hours maybe. I'd say two yeah. hours at this point. And, and you're still in your I was frozen. Space. I did not. I couldn't move. I had no idea what to do. He told me to hide. Should I get up? Did you have any sense that this that the marshals were in the house? I did. I could hear almost every word that they were saying. Right. And I could hear Dave in the other room lying. I could hear his mom. So you've had two hours to think about this. Right. as And you were still of the opinion, even though the marshals are here and I could get out of this, I'm not going to. I think I was waiting for them to leave or a better moment that felt right did you want to leave at that point or were you it was were you not ways. sure and you were still I, thinking I was about not it. sure I wanted to leave but I didn't want to go home right. so I kind of had to weigh my options what do I do do I stay here or do I go home I knew that there was no other choice for me right so I chose to stay if possible right okay so then uh, we go into uh, prevent mode. So we start with the interviews. We start extending the interview even further than what we would normal. For about another half hour, we kind of do this. Uh, in the meantime, I swap out with Steve. He does some of the interview. I contact our counterparts up in in uh, uh, Pennsylvania. Talk to them. Um, we go into to some some conversation about uh, best way to put it. We, we start talking about investigative uh, tactics. Mm-hmm. Uh, the FBI doesn't agree with necessarily what we're doing up there, but uh, because they're in a different jurisdiction, we are, when we're already coordinating, we kind of uh, pushed off from them and, and went with our FBI agents down here. Once they got there, uh, we went to go, basically once that FBI agent came, she determined that she wanted to do a search of the vehicle. Uh, that was their primary because we were figuring that Sue was not there as much as he's let us look around, but possibly there's evidence in the vehicle because right. that might have been the transport vehicle. Right. It had been painted, again, all these sorts of things. So she goes and commences that part of the investigation. She spends about 30 to f- minutes or so searching the truck uh, with another investigator and then comes back in. At that point, we determined that uh, – Steve and I are going to, they're going to stay there. We're going to go to the alibi that he has and talk to this alibi that mm-hmm. he's supposed, um, that Dave has. 
So we drive out. It's not 15 minutes from the house, maybe, uh, if that. So we drive over to this residence. We get there. And again, uh, much like Sue described, it's a it's a big field with a bunch of cars, kind of a ratty house. Um, and when we pull in the driveway, someone comes out and we start talking to them. Hey, you know, we're with the marshals. You know, we start to talk. And immediately, I would say 15 to 18 people pour out of this house. I mean, it, it was very odd the way it happened, too. It wasn't yeah. like if if someone comes to your house, you come out to meet them, and then people kind of look through the window, or maybe a couple people come out. Everybody in the house came out, and they were all very angry that we were on their land. And they were not uh, – they basically, within a minute or so, were yelling and screaming at us, get out of here, get off our land, you're not welcome here. And it was just very odd, the greeting we got, because, again, they're not in any trouble. We're not trying to do anything than verify an alibi. We tried to explain that they didn't want to hear any of it. And and you're looking for a missing child. I mean, who doesn't want to help with that? You would think, right? Right. And then we start to, again, we're shorthanded, so we're working with what we got. We're new to this. So to ourselves, we're like, this could be the spot where she's at in in our minds because there's vehicles everywhere. So we're going to go back to – Dave's house we're going to talk to the FBI agent that we were dealing with there and Johnny and say hey let's get a search warrant for that place because we're thinking that's where yeah. they're going to be but we're also looking at trying to get a search warrant for Dave's residence because of the backpack mm-hmm. yeah uh, and and that was I mean we we had our 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 consent form signed and everything but once the the bureau came in they yeah. they kind of take over and start doing things their way because they're they have a way of doing things right you know, and they're they're going to be a, if if there is a a potential crime at this this residence, they're going to be the lead investigative agency at this point because they're there. So at this point, we go. And when you're talking about a crime, you think she's perhaps been killed. Well, at, at that's that point, what we're at. At that now. point, that's that's the main concern because I mean, he was just so confident that and to let us in the house and let us look around and sign the consent form and be cooperative. Yep. And I mean, it was just like. And then when you find the evidence that we know now for a fact, she has been there. Right. She has the thing she went missing with. Right. This guy is cool as a cucumber, not not budging. We're right. like, well, she's obviously not here. He right. doesn't expect that we'll find her here. Right. So where is she? Right. And then when we found, you know, when we went to the um, to the friend's house and we saw all the cars, we were like, you know, worst case scenario, we're thinking, oh, my God, her body could be stuffed in one of these right. cars out here, right. you know, until they can find a place. Or there's evidence in one of the cars where she, she could have been killed. Right. So at that point, we went back and formulated the plan, told them what we got, and then it was like, okay, well, let's go downstairs, and now let's start processing the, the backpack right. and anything else in his room that, that we may be able to uh, take as, as evidence. And we were going to use that then. The The plan at that point was go through the backpack, prove that it's, it's Sue's stuff, and then take that and confront him with it. She was never here. Why is this here? What is right. this? And that sort of thing, kind of that – gotcha yeah. aha moment uh-huh. um and see if we could break him at that point find out where at this point we're thinking where she is or where her body is because right. we're not assuming she's alive at this point it's just very odd and uh as we begin to go through this backpack the bible obviously is right on top we pull it out open it up it says sue's name right in the the thing right and everybody gives this collective groan, set it, you know, begin to package it up for evidence. We go to the next thing. I think there was hygiene stuff, maybe a toothbrush and a Ziploc bag, maybe right. some stuff like that. Pulled that out. And then the the moment that truly uh, we were, at that point, we were convinced she was dead. We pulled out a balled up T-shirt that was in the bottom. And as we opened it up, it had brown clump stains all over it and appeared to be blood to all of us. Again, I'm not an evidence you right. know, custodian, but it, it appeared to be you know, a, a crime scene at that point. Mm-hmm. And so everybody just looks at each other and everyone's deflated because you're looking for a, a child, a 16-year-old girl, and to find what we just found, it literally, I think it was like a gut punch to everybody. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at that point, everybody's just head. I, I just remember it as distinctly as I can. Everybody's head sunk. And you could tell, like, everybody took a second and we're like, oh, all right, what are we going to do now? And so everybody kind of caught their breath. We started taking pictures of the evidence that we had pulled out. And uh, that's uh, when we got the, the life kicked back into us, if you will. Um, 
an arm shoots up from behind the bed and all of a sudden uh sue comes crawling out from behind the bed all of us jump back um nobody knows exactly what to do everyone's shocked we're like oh my god it's a zombie because we're thinking because you've been there for what three hours and in that room and there's nobody in there and then all of a sudden there's somebody there and so obviously this whole time you've been thinking right so as it escalated to them talking about me being dead it hit me hard that maybe that's what was going to happen Maybe I need to get out of here now. And I don't want these people thinking I'm dead. That's not fair. I need to get out of here. This isn't right. This is too much. They're not leaving. They're going to look for my dead body. So at that moment, my world stopped. It froze. I came out and I saw everyone. And my life changed in that moment forever. In what way? I knew nothing would ever be the same in my life. I knew that it was a flood of emotions. I knew that now I've been found. And now I have to deal with all the things that just happened. It wasn't, that wasn't a full thought out thing, but it was a gut feeling. Like now I have to face this and deal with this and confront everything in my life so did you think your life while it was going to change was going to change for the better or did you not I didn't think so I mean Dave had convinced me that I was going to go to jail if I was found Mm -hmm. that I was a criminal so before they were talking about you know finding my body I thought they were looking for me to arrest me and take me to jail and get me in trouble and you know, Dave be a victim. And I was scared of that. I didn't Mm -hmm. want that. I was also thinking I'm about to go back to my dad's house and he's an angry guy. This is going to make him angry. It was so many thoughts. I had no idea who I was coming out to. I didn't know who was there. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't know what to expect. Were you scared of Dave at that time? I was scared of Dave. I, I knew that it could go wrong at any moment if he knew that I came out. And I couldn't hear him, so I didn't know what he was doing in that other room. And I didn't know if there was anyone watching him or with him. He was open about shooting people. I thought, it's possible he's going to come in and start shooting. I mean, it's nothing that they hadn't talked about. I was scared. I I did not know what was Mm -hmm. next. And so, from your perspective, when you saw Sue, I, 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 I mean... Well, I can tell you the first thing we saw is that her hair was colored yes. <laughs> brown, which explained the stains on the shirt, which was the big, okay, that's not blood. Yeah. Okay, uh, we're good. Right. Uh, yeah, that was the first thing. It's like, okay, she dyed her hair. Okay, that makes sense now. Did she? Did she, Did you have to identify yourself, or did she understand that you were law enforcement or what I mean what was your what was going through your your mind you you went from having a a, looking for a a body one that was dead yeah to you know the victory here I I will say that it was not a victorious moment in the very instant that it happened it was pure shock that someone came out from behind the bed then I believe we all I, I don't know if we all said at the same time I think everybody was like Sue and she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm Sue. And you could tell she was very cautious about coming out. She did not necessarily want to. And then uh, it, there, wasn't, there wasn't the flood of emotions you would expect with necessarily someone that had been adopted or it, it was very muted, which we, I know we were very scared that there was a lot of damage emotionally besides uh, physical, any physical damage or any physical abuse that had been suffered. We were very... Uh, Steve and I had talked about this before we we had uh, transported her later on that we were so scared for because again um, you know I had a daughter at that time and I just I couldn't fathom anything like this and and to talk to her and just to see how much pain she was in uh, it, it was very difficult it made the most happy moment of our life by actually 
uh, saving a, a girl like her or any girl to, oh my God, like what, what now? Like where, where do we yeah. go from here? What's the next step? And we hadn't truly, uh, again, not to throw any daggers at, at anyone or the agency, we hadn't really been trained in this sort of thing. So, uh, you know, we're myself and, and Steve are good friends in, in real life and, and not just work friends. So we just kind of riffed off each other and, and, and tried to make her feel as comfortable as possible. Um, you know, get her as relaxed and, and feel as, as comfortable as she could with us. And uh, we did that in a bunch of different ways. Mostly mm-hmm. it's cracking jokes and being idiots. That's mm-hmm. kind of our MO. <laughs> That's our thing. <laughs> um, and it seems like you've perfected yeah, that. I'm, I'm quite an expert <laughs> at that side. <laughs> uh, so you, you're downstairs. Uh, Dave is upstairs. So yeah. you bring Sue upstairs. I, I think we, before we brought her upstairs, I believe... I don't know. I don't remember if it was me or if it was Steve or who, right. but one of us ran upstairs and said, put him in cuffs now. Yeah. And we, we locked him up right on, and that was done. And I believe we put mom in the corner at that point just to make sure there was nothing that was going to happen because family members tend to react poorly when you <laughs> arrest their loved ones. Right. So, and uh, what, what was his immediate reaction? Like, was it, oh my God, I can't believe I'm, I'm caught out? Or was it, oh, you know, still play it, just play it cool? He was beaten. I, I think he was like, man, they got me. Because his head sunk, and he didn't ask why. He knew what was uh, – there was no question of like – usually you say, hey, lock that guy up. Somebody's going to be like, what, me? Why? What did I do? Yeah. There was none of that. His head just kind of sunk down, and he just he, – he gave up right there and turned around. We put him in handcuffs. Um, and then we brought her up, uh, and I believe we took them both outside because we were waiting for transport. Right. It gets a little sticky at this point because we have a victim and a, uh, you know a predator right next to each other, and and that's when we we made a tactical decision. We need to remove the victim from this situation now. We had contacted uh, child protective services. We had called the locals to come arrest him, um, and there was just too much time, and we just couldn't have them in proximity. In in our opinions, it was just not a good place to be. She was already She's very in a very upset. vulnerable yeah. spot. I believe there was, there was starting to be some emotions coming out, some yeah. crying. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and so we wanted to extricate her from that situation as quickly as possible. Right. And were you starting to feel relief? or I don't know what I was feeling. Right. It was a flood. Um, right. I, I didn't know. Right. It was just pure despair. I was sad for everything that had ever happened up until this moment and I didn't know it was coming next I didn't even think I'd make it to the next week right I didn't know and and you were then taken where so I was taken to the local police department uh we met where did we meet so um we actually uh Steve and I uh put her in in our car um no uh, no handcuffs or anything like that. We just put her in the back of the vehicle. Um, we have undercover vehicles, so there's no cages or anything like that. Right. Um, and we began to to drive to Greenbelt. We were going to meet uh, basically the Pennsylvania, the local police from Pennsylvania, uh, in between, in the middle somewhere. Right. Uh, and so when we were headed there, uh, we were again. She's in a such a vulnerable position, and you know feeling very uh, empathetic to the situation right. we we knew she loved music that was one of the things they had told us and uh my partner's a very big waylon jennings fan um which just happened to be perfect because uh sue is a giant waylon jennings fan yes. and the two <laughs> instantly bound over that um it was getting late in the day and uh being deputy u.s marshals there's certain restaurants that we love and one of those is Chick-fil-A. Um, and so we asked her, hey, are you hungry? Trying to get her some food and some drink and just get her something. And she said, no, no, I'm not hungry at all. And we weren't really going to take no for an answer because we were hungry too, yeah. mainly. But uh, so we drive over and, and we order some food anyways. We're like, hey, look, we're getting food. You might as well get some. And it came out later. She hadn't eaten in, again in three days. We don't know that. Right? Yeah. And she's refusing food that we're trying to buy her. And we gave her, I forget, we get her a nugget meal and a Coke or whatever. And 
we're talking and we're joking, we're making jokes with her. And I look back and the thing's gone. <laughs> I was like, yeah. uh, are you still hungry? We'll get you more. She's like, no, no, I'm fine. But uh, that was one of the funniest things. And, and really, I feel like that hour or so long drive to the meeting point might have been longer, an hour and a half, was just a point to to bond with her and, and show her that there are good people out there. And we were caring for her and we did, we were scared for her and we wanted to see her you know, live her best life and mm-hmm. get, you know, out there and get away from this. And, you know, uh, I, again, not knowing what we were putting her back into was, was really a, a shock when we found that out later. Um, and very disappointing to us because, uh, the system in so many ways failed her, um, and, and us, I mean, we did our part in this chain and, and it needs to continue. You know, you can't just do, one guy just can't do his part or two guys can't do their part. The whole chain has to work. Or again, a 16 year old girl that's been physically abused, mentally abused, just continues to be and continue to be victimized. And that's just not, not fair. And that's one of the things uh, that was really the most disheartening of the whole story. But the best part is uh, we're here with her now and to see what she's become is incredible. And, and just to confirm, uh, as of today, um, her father is facing what at the moment? I believe he's facing up to 40 years for assault. And I, I don't know what the exact time is. I know there's a first degree assault. Yeah, he, I believe he has a first degree assault, second degree assault. Uh, uh, I believe it was uh, possession of a firearm um, and possession of a firearm uh, during a crime of violence. So those are serious charges. Those yeah. are uh, Those are not. Uh, run-of-the-mill things that someone might catch. These are very directed, um, very heavy penalty and go right back to, unfortunately, what Sue said about him being a very violent character. Mm -hmm. He truly is, and it's showing in in his history, you know, his criminal history Mm -hmm. to now. It's Mm -hmm. finally coming up to the surface for people to see. So you you went to Chick-fil-A. Yes. And then you... uh, (laughs) get you you meet other the other law enforcement yeah so my ride with these guys was great honestly it gave me hope that okay maybe just maybe this process won't be so bad right i don't feel like a criminal i don't feel like you know a missing person i feel like a person so i think they gave me a lot of hope and unfortunately it turned out to be kind of false hope because it didn't go so great after that (laughs) and what what happened after that so they took me to meet with the pennsylvania police uh just a little they took me to meet the police up in pa Mm -hmm. those guys were the complete opposite the complete opposite it was night and day difference i got out of the car they searched me, which was like expected for me. I wasn't mad about it. They were yelling at me, put me in the car, treated me terribly. I would ask a question. My first question, I think my only question actually was, can you take me anywhere besides my dad's house? He looks at me and he yells, no, stop asking. Did they, were cuffs used? Yeah, at one point. At so they point. put you in cuffs. Yeah. So, yeah. So you, you go we from, get... from actually feeling like, you, you know, kind of restoring your self-worth. Right. And for no particular reason, and I'll have to defer to, to our marshals here, why, do you, why, why would they change the narrative of what was going on? Um, I'm not really sure. Uh, but, I mean, we, we both looked at each other when this process started, yeah. and we were like like we need to say something so we we were unsure if they like we we didn't know these guys at all we hadn't dealt with them at all uh so we wanted to make sure that they knew hey you guys do realize this is the victim victim right this is the person who 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 was potentially abducted right uh or or at the very minimum enticed away from her home by an older person right and abused and no one rides in our car that's not in cuffs that was the exact statement so I gave Sue our, my card specifically, and, and I apologized to her, and I, I couldn't get past it. I, again, I'm not judging other police officers or other policies that they have, 
but this was just wrong. I, there's no other way to say it. I mean, this is a victim of a very violent crime based over a six-day period right. of just this specific crime. That's not to mention the grooming and everything that happened right. beforehand. And to to talk to her and get her out of her shell and to kind of coax her back into the light, if you will, to see the door just slam shut in her face and her thrown in the back of a car in handcuffs was just uh, it was just mind-boggling to us. I, I mean, I, I don't know of any other group, uh, and I've never seen it, where you handcuff the victim of mm-hmm. a crime and mm-hmm. put them in the back of your car and transport them back. It just seemed insane and again we gave her our our card specifically because i was like i I hope she'll reach out if something's not right here or something happens because i want to help you know that's what we're here for is is we're here to help and it just was again and it may be their policy i don't know i don't know the local department i don't know what they do but i there's very few (laughs) police departments that i know of that their their rules are to handcuff victims that are recovered and put them in the back of a right. police car. It's just not a thing. And they use that against me too. I don't know if you mentioned to them something about the cuffs, but we got to yeah, the advocate at, well, I don't know if you mentioned something about the cuffs, but when we got to where we were going, he said, you don't like to be cuffed. Well, you can just hold my hand. And we walked down the street and I had to hold the guy's hand and it was humiliating. Okay, that's, Oh my God. Not fun. <laughs> not fun. And I mean, this was kind of a, an, like a gut punch for us because we had just spent the last hour i mean from from when she came out and obviously distressed crying upset in a very like bad place to now we're trying to figure out okay we we've got to do something because she's here with with you know the person who victimized her we we've got to do something and get her out of here and then building that rapport and trying to get her you know to a normal spot you know and then to have it all just taken away you know it it i mean it's like you feel so good about like what you did and like you 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 you're trying to continue to do good and then somebody steps in and then it all goes away right and so where did where did they take you they took me to i guess it was like an advocacy center for kids um they then they took me to the police station to do an interview so I interviewed with a few people. Um, one person treated me like I was five, and then the cops treated me like a criminal. Everything was my fault to them. So you didn't, because this had just happened and was so raw, and clearly yeah. there was no one that you were being presented with that would even be relatable on any level. Right. You never told the story of what actually happened. Not at happened. all. I didn't tell anyone. I made him sound like a great guy. I begged for him to not go to jail. I said he fed me great. He treated me well. And this is, I mean, I, I went on a missing children's operation in Atlanta. And the first thing they told us when they gave the briefing was, look, you're, you're not going to get kids running into your arms saying, thank God for rescuing me. Most of the time, you're going to get kids who are very bonded to the people that they that that have abducted them, or or kidnapped them, or they, that they've met and groomed and, and have gone for them. So you might get the missing child fighting more ferociously than anyone else not to leave, and uh, and and probably where they are may be better than where you're going to take them back to, and so that's quite a common thing that uh, quite a common situation i i understand at least regarding missing children yeah that's a a very common situation with with missing children specifically especially non-abducted if they've been enticed away uh if they weren't grabbed off the street they have established rapport and a relationship with this person it may be as toxic as can be but they in their minds that that's someone that loves them or or cares for them or or is there for them and that's very difficult bond to break and very difficult for an undeveloped mind or a young child to understand that hey this is this is really more toxic than where you're at and Mm -hmm. and it's it's a difficult dichotomy i mean it's just not uh, a thing that most people deal with very often and advocacy centers you would think would 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 and and we we know which we talked about earlier you cannot consent to have sex if you're an under, if you're a minor 
and, and back me up on this, you cannot consent That's to correct. have sex with a, 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 an adult. That's correct. That's you, correct. You cannot. Right. And he was never charged no. with any of this stuff because... He was charged with, I think, concealing the whereabouts of a child right. and corruption of a minor, but nothing sexual related right. or anything like that. Because... Because I didn't say anything. Right. And that's... And that's the the other crime of it is this is the system right failing you. Yeah, I think if someone way. would have asked at some point later down the road, I would have been more open. Or if they had more training. Or if a family member maybe pushed you a little bit. Or yeah, anything really. I just needed a push and some time, and I would have been ready to go. So he got a slap on the you know after all this, Dave gets a slap on the wrist. Yeah, is actually portrayed in the media as being a guy who was just trying to help. A runaway and a dad who was searching for his daughter if you look if you looked at the stories the shame of it is no one ever you know no one was ever held accountable mm -hmm. and they weren't held accountable because you never came into contact with anyone that you felt safe and comfortable with to actually tell tell them what happened yeah exactly I didn't come nobody even asked Maybe the first day they did an interview, they might have asked some questions, very right. basic. Do you know what sex is? Did you have a sexual encounter with this guy? Of course, I said no, and that was that. No one ever asked. No one ever pushed. But I got to be, I, I, I got to think that it's quite common for victims not to immediately say what's happened. I mean, look at how many times people have come out and like, oh, 30 years ago, this happened to me. Or, you know, well, after the first day, you would think that that they would have handled it differently and that you would have been approached perhaps several times or, or over a period, you know, where it's not so dramatic and they're just trying to, you know, let you in your own time tell tell yeah. the story what happened. I mean, obviously, you know, this guy, Dave should, I mean, from what you, from what you guys know, Dave should be away for, what, 20, 30 years? Yeah, yeah. definitely, yeah. at least. I mean, the bottom line is, and like uh, we've discussed in the past, I think uh, family members drive investigations. I, I know that's not always the case, but in this scenario, I think had a family member been there to meet emotional needs and 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 be there for for Sue, I think that would have pushed us for or not us, but the local uh, investigators to push forward. Maybe even for her to disclose things she hadn't prior, because those things take time to work out and once they're worked out people are right. more likely to to right. move forward but this is a, one of those cases where it just uh, it was a case that unfortunately went through the cracks yeah right. and, and the issue the issue i see is that every everybody else got a chance to be the victim in this case except the actual victim right. mm -hmm. you know the father was the victim of the abduction and on the, on the media being portrayed a certain way dave was a victim because he was just trying to help somebody and you know, the actual victim in the case was vilified. Mm, yeah. I mean, the system failed completely. So you go back home. Yeah, it was good for maybe about a week. Other than that, it went right back. Right. Maybe even worse. You hit 18. Yeah. 18th birthday. I'm out. Um, never went back. And that's when my life really started. I feel like my whole childhood was a waste. I didn't learn anything. I didn't need anybody. I didn't try anything. And then my 18th birthday came and I'm out in the world and I really have a chance to be who I want to be, mm -hmm. take my life into my own hands. It was the first time I ever was in control of what I did. Right. And I will say this happened several years ago. You're now 21. And after a couple of years, you reached out. I did. Yeah, I, I've that. always thought about it. It was some, I would stare at the card. Uh, I've carried it in my wallet for the past five years. And, you know, I'd pull it out on a bad day and think, all right, there's good people in this world. I can't give up yet. And one day it just, it hit me and I knew it was time. I'm going to reach out to these great guys Tell them that they're my heroes, you know, 
see what they think about the story. And I got lucky because here they are. They're great, even better than I remembered. That's not true. No. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was, I I will say, we've uh, talked about this several times, Steve and I. One of the greatest moments, in fact, probably the greatest moment career-wise is uh, talking to you after so many years of not talking to you and seeing how much you've progressed and what you've become and, and what a woman you developed into and, and how strong and independent you are. It's amazing. Uh, and we're, we're blessed to have been able to find you and, and, and quote unquote rescue you, but you're incredible to have survived this and come out stronger on the other side. That's the most incredible part of this story by far. You're the actual hero. You could have gone downhill. So tell, tell everybody how you picked yourself up and, and, and are beginning to make something of yourself and become the person that you would like to be. It really all comes down to making good choices to better my own life. I've traveled the whole country. I found a great husband. I advocate for other victims I volunteer, I have a full-time job, I'm in school. I've decided I want to be somebody and I don't want to be that victim forever. I have a chance now to better myself and create my own life. And you're in school for, for what? Social work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you want to become? I want to be a victim advocate. Mm-hmm. I want to change the world for them. So the system doesn't fail for someone right. else. Yeah. I want to be that person that they can open up to. Sue, I cannot thank you enough for sharing your story for the first time with us. This has really been an incredible couple of hours. Your story is tragic, but the outcome is inspirational. Yeah, thank you so much. Your fight to get out of that life and put it behind you and set your sights on becoming a woman who's going to fight for others, eh, you're an all-star. Thank you very much for coming on. And if you think a child is missing, please reach out to your local law enforcement agency and contact the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. They can be reached at 1-800-THE-LOST or at missingkids.org. If you have any follow-up questions for Sue or the Marshalls, please go to usmarshallstruecrimepodcast.com, put your questions down, and we'll follow up with a, a little mini episode and get your questions answered. And if you wouldn't mind hitting that subscribe button, we would really appreciate it. We're just getting started, and we have so many incredible episodes to bring your way. We'll see you next time. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big.